First Peter, the first chapter, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Father in heaven, I praise you for babies, I praise you for light, I praise you that we are redeemed, and I praise you that we are elect in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. And I ask that you'd come now and help me to deliver this word in Jesus' name. Amen. The first word, the very first word that Peter uses to identify the believers scattered throughout the regions of Asia and Bithynia and Cappadocia and Pontus is the word elect. Now, you can't see that if you have a New American Standard Bible or if you have a King James Bible or if you have a Revised Standard Bible. You can see it if you have a a New International Version. The reason you can't see it is because the translators are very eager to take the word elect or chosen and move it from its first place down either at the end or the beginning of verse 2, end of verse 1 or beginning of verse 2, because they want to show that it is connected directly to the three phrases in verse 2, which tell us three things about our election. We are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. We are elect by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. We are elect to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Those three things define election. They tell us about the origin of our election in the foreknowledge of God. They tell us about the experience of election in the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And they tell us about the goal or the purpose of election, namely that we might obey Jesus. It's so crucial to see the connection between election and those three things in verse 2 that most translators take the word from its position at the beginning and move it to the end of verse 1 or put it at the beginning of verse 2. And that's helpful. You might miss the connection if they didn't do that. But where there is gain, there is loss. And what's lost in those versions is that you can't see that the very first, the very first word he puts on believers is elect. The word order goes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To the elect, and that's those three words, to the elect is one word in Greek, to the elect. The very first thing he wants to say about these believers as he writes to them is, you are elect. And we miss that front position when the translators move it, even though we gain clarity on the connection between election and verse 2, which we need to gain. So I'm not sure which I would choose. If I had to translate these verses, it's very difficult to move from one language to another language in translation. We don't point our fingers or blame in many cases where there are difficulties like this. This is a tremendous thing to stress that election is put first in the identification 
I stress it because I think if I were writing to my son, say Karsten, a letter, and I said, Dear Karsten, you are God's chosen one as you live as an alien in this world. If he, if he read that, he'd say, hmm, why is daddy beginning the letter like this? It would cause you to say, hmm, this is interesting, this is important, this is significant. Well, I think when those readers read Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the elect, they said, hmm, I wonder why he's stressing that. I wonder why that's up front. I wonder why that's the very first word that he puts for us. Well, I think there's some reasons. The first thing I learned from this is it isn't hidden. I want to bank on that for a minute. Uh, a lot of people want to hide the doctrine of election. They say, well, this is controversial doctrine or this is not a helpful doctrine or this is just a heady doctrine. It doesn't have any practical significance. And they sort of hide it in theology books or in small group discussions. But you don't you don't put it first. You don't start a sermon with that. You don't start a letter with that. And so the, the first observation I have is Peter doesn't agree with that, evidently. The first word on his lips in identifying his readers is, I am an apostle, you are the elect. That's the way he begins his letter. That's the first thing I learned. It isn't hidden by Jesus. It isn't hidden by Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter. It isn't hidden by the apostles. They speak of it as though it were the most natural thing in the world. Not any awful, big, dark, complicated, discouraging, inhibiting, paralyzing doctrine. No way do they think of it like that. Nor do I. And I don't want you to either. The other thing I see here is that Peter begins with it because he wants to connect it with this idea of our alien status. In fact, the literal words go, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ... To the elect aliens. Now, when I read that, elect aliens, chosen, rejected. I mean, elect aliens. You see, do you hear what I think he's doing? It's painful to be an alien. To be an alien usually means you've been rejected by some group so that you have to live in a place you'd rather not live. You're a refugee away from your true homeland where you've been ejected or rejected. And what Peter wants to do is say your fundamental identity, the fundamental meaning of your life in the world is not alien. It is first chosen, not first rejected, first chosen. You are the chosen rejected. That's why it's there. Your fundamental identity is not primarily that people around you reject you as a Christian or cast your name out or isolate you or ostracize you or label you. That's not your fundamental meaning in life. It is real. We've been talking about it for two weeks. You must accept it. In fact, you must glory in it. And campaign for it from others so that they join you in this rejected alien status. But that's not the main thing or the first thing. The first thing is you are that 
because you are first chosen. You were not first rejected and God picked up the rest. God chose you to be rejected. God chose you to be alien, exile, sojourner, refugee. The first meaning of your life is chosen by God, not first rejected by men. The rejection follows from the choosing. So Peter didn't hide it. That's the first thing I see in its firstness. And he wanted to say our meaning resides in our being chosen, though we are aliens. Rejected chosen ones. Chosen rejected ones. Now, let me linger here over this for a minute. In America, we're a practical people. Everybody knows around the world and everybody knows in America that the hallmark of Americans, we are a can-do society. We make it happen. We're proud of it. We are pragmatic to the core. Does it work is the primary criterion of truth. And it has come into the church, lock, stock and barrel, to create a pragmatic atmosphere in the church so that some of the most front-running, conference-making, church-growth-designing people put right up front in their conferences... We don't get into theology. We don't get into doctrine. So thousands of pastors go to these meetings to learn how to be the church. And they broadcast unashamedly, we don't get into theology. We just tell you how to build a church. I mean, if you 300 years ago, if you 300 years ago, had gone to any Christian group anywhere in the world that had to do with the building of the body of Christ in any way at all and started off, we're here to talk about the growth of the body of Christ and the spread of the kingdom, but we don't get into theology. It would have been an unintelligible sentence. I mean, they wouldn't have even computed. It would have been from another planet, another world. And if it doesn't sound that way to you, you're an American first. And not elect necessarily. No, I shouldn't have said that. That was a slip. Not in tune with God's purposes. How can they talk that way? I don't, uh, the more I read my Bible, like First Peter, sympathize with that viewpoint. The apostles saw doctrine and theology as tremendously practical. When Peter begins his letter with the phrase, elect aliens, he means to be practical, means to give help. And he believes it is helpful to know that you are elect. And he believes that it's important that you know something about that identity. Which is why he goes on in verse 2 and unpacks it in three ways. Could it be, I throw this out for your meditation, could it be that one of the reasons the church in America is so weak, and I define weakness not in terms of numbers but in terms of impact, could it be that we're so weak because we're constantly trying to do a practical shortcut 
to strength and growth, shortcut, Maybe we are meant to grow strong, not in spite of doctrine, as so many people communicate, but by means of doctrine. I think it's an indictment of the church when anybody says at the beginning of a significant conference on how to build the church, we don't get into theology. Now, keep this in mind as we look at verse 2, and I hope that you will see what Peter's willing to get into. And let this have an impact on you because he hasn't even said grace and peace be multiplied yet. (laughs) He can't contain himself. He hasn't even said, Karsten, how are you? How's it going? I love you or anything. He says, you're elect. And then here come three massive theological definitions of election before he says, and by the way, grace and peace be multiplied to you. I mean, this is just stunning the way he begins this letter. It's so clear what his first priorities are. He is willing to get into doctrine to help these beleaguered churches be the church. Phrase number one. You are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Phrase number two, you are elect by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Phrase number three, you are elect unto the obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Origin, experience, goal of election. Now, there are a couple clues here which show that Peter really wants you to be engulfed in God and in God's electing love for you. He wants you all to see this connection between your identity and God's electing love. The first clue is that he engulfs us with God's initiative, God's electing initiative. Notice, it's behind you. And it's in you and it's in front of you. Look at this. It's behind you, according to the foreknowledge of God. It's the basis. It's in you by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. It's in front of you unto or that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled by his blood. Peter engulfs us with election, elections, origin, elections, experience, elections, destiny. He wants you to be engulfed with election before he even says howdy. This is serious for Peter. This is front burner teaching for the sake of living as aliens suffering in the world. It is painful to be an alien. This whole letter is written to help suffering aliens survive in a hostile world. And he begins with election. Here's a second clue that he wants you to be just engulfed in God. These three dimensions that I just gave you of election are each related to a different divine person of the Trinity. Whoa, now we're into the Trinity before he says hello. Did you notice that? Foreknowledge of God the Father. Sanctifying work of the Spirit. Unto the obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. 
the Son. You've got the Father at work in election. You've got the Spirit at work in election. And you've got the Son at work in election. So he clearly wants you not only to be engulfed in election, but he wants you to be engulfed in the Trinitarian understanding of election. That the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all involved in your election, behind you, in you, in front of you, before he says hello. It's a different world than we live in. Join it. It's a different world. I find it strange that the apostle of the Lord, writing to a struggling group of churches in trial and distress, should begin with such a profound teaching on divine election. And we are bent to see it as a strategic virtue when a conference begins. We don't get into theology. That bent is not biblical. It's not a biblical bent. It's an American bent. It's a 20th century bent. It's pervasive. It's in me. I'm bent that way. Probably the reason a minute ago I defended Peter the way I did is because I'm an American. I said he regards election as practical. You see, I'm even using practicality to defend him. That's how American I am, probably. What I do know, the little bit I know about my calling is that I'm here at Bethlehem to teach and preach and inspire, and motivate, to strengthen the church, your hearts, the way the apostles did, as best I can. Namely, with clear, forthright, upfront, unashamed declaration of truth about God and his wonderful ways to us, including election You are elect, aliens in the world because of God's awesome act. Now, let's take these phrases. I'm going to cover two of them today. Next week, David Livingston will cover the third. We are elect, verse 2 says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. What's the basis of our election? The basis of God's choosing us. Why did God choose you to be saved? Or to put it very personally, at the last day in heaven, if God asks you at the judgment, how is it that you came to believe and be saved and not others? What will you answer? How is it that you came to believe and be saved and not others? Peter's answer is, you foreknew me, and you chose me. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, what does that mean? What does the foreknowledge of God mean here? Does it mean that I elected myself by my own autonomous, self-determining powers of so-called free will? That I elected myself first and God saw my self-election and responded with his election so that mine is the initiative and his is the response. I don't believe that and I don't think it's taught in the New Testament. 
Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Our choosing God is based upon God's choosing us. Had he not chosen us, we would never in the least be inclined to choose him. It is primary for God. God's foreknowledge of his people. Now mark this, this is very important. God's foreknowledge is not merely his awareness ahead of time of what humans can achieve on their own. That's not what is meant by foreknowledge. Let me give you some illustrations from the Bible that foreknowledge of God's people is a reference to his recognition of and his approval of and his setting, his knowing and loving upon a person before they had responded to him. Here's an example. In Psalm chapter 1, verse 6, it says, The Lord knows the way of the righteous. Knows, mark the word. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean God is, doesn't know anything about the way of the wicked? The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Because God doesn't know anything about it. He's ignorant. That's not what it means. Knows the way of the righteous means approves the way of the righteous, acknowledges the way of the righteous, recognizes the way of the righteous, sets his favor on the way of the righteous. Knowing is a big, rich, emotional, personal, relational term in God's mouth. God knows them or take Amos 3, 2. God says to Israel, you only have I known among all the families of the earth. Now, what does that mean? That God's ignorant of all the other families? He doesn't know the Egyptians in the sense that he's not aware of them? No, that's not what it means. You only have I known means you only have I acknowledged. You only have I recognized. You only have I bestowed my approval upon. You only have I seen as mine. Now, the link between that Old Testament usage and Peter is in chapter 2, verse 9, where he says to the Christians, you are a chosen race. You Christians are a chosen race, just like the Israelites were a chosen race. How did the Israelites get to be a chosen race? Did God look down in Ur of the Chaldees to try to find somebody who was worshiping him in purity and truth? No. He looked down and he saw a moon worshiper, Abraham. And he chose him freely for his own. And then it says in Genesis eighteen nineteen, in him all the nations will be blessed for I have known him. So God found this Abraham, this utterly unworthy idolater in Ur of the Chaldees, and he said, Freely, sovereignly, that will be the man on whom I build my kingdom. And he spoke to him and called him sovereignly to himself. And he was his. And from then on, God spoke, you only have I known of all the families that are on the face of the earth. And here Peter picks that up in 2.9 and says, Christians are chosen by God. And then... He talks about them being elect according to that knowing in chapter 1, verse 2. 
God has chosen us for himself because he freely set his knowing favor upon us. You only have I known, Christians. You only have I known of all the peoples that are on the face of the earth. And then the second phrase in verse 2 shows this sovereign work of God coming to expression in us. This is the evidence this morning. If you want to know whether you are elect, the question is whether you are trusting and walking in holiness. It says you were elect by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Now, the reason I have great confidence that that phrase is referring to election is because Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2.13 uses the exact phrase in relation to election. He says to the Thessalonians, God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The exact same phrase in relationship to election. So God the Spirit now is cooperating with God the Father in that he takes that divine, eternal decree of our election and translates it into a practical reality as he moves into our lives and he draws us to faith and he begets the fruits of the Spirit. No one is elect but those who believe. And believing is the way you know you are among the elect. And the work sanctifying of the Holy Spirit is the mark on your life that you are of God. Let me close with a concluding uh, application. I'm speaking to believers this morning, especially to establish your hearts in this great truth. God wants you to know today that the hardships you undergo and the troubles of your alien exile life are not owing to your finite, fallible, short-sighted choices, but are owing to his infinite, infallible, all-seeing choosing of you. He has chosen you for your alien life. He has chosen you for your rejected status. All that you experience in life as his chosen ones is designed for your nurture, for your equipping, for your purification, for your deepening, for your maturing. He has chosen you for his own. The exile life that you live is rooted in God. It's rooted in his election, past, present, and future. He means for you this morning to be engulfed in God. Dwell on this truth. Let it sink in deep. Let it determine your identity. God is at work in you. He has elected you. The Holy Spirit is at work in you. He is sanctifying you. The Son is at work on you, sprinkling you with His blood. You are a people chosen and holy to the Lord. Let that, and not your rejected status, be your main identity. Let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, I pray that you would confirm and establish us. Just like Peter says, our election and calling would be made sure as we trust in you and follow you. And so I pray that you would send the roots of your people very, very deep now 
into this great biblical truth of divine, sovereign, free, unconditional election from the Father, applied by the Spirit, purchased by the Son. Oh, Lord, take us deep and bless us, I pray, Jesus' greatness.